Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in technology, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 53 of the podcast, the topic is the future of brands in politics. Our guest is Victoria Sokol, Managing Director of Brand Intelligence at Morning Consult. In this conversation, we talk about how big brands should deal with the U.S. election, political intelligence, emerging survey results on how consumers think brands should react to social movements. Do consumers expect CEOs to take a stance on emerging issues such as climate change, Me Too, safe elections, or COVID-19? Who do consumers trust the most, politicians or brands? What are the top issues on Americans' minds? How will the political role of brands evolve? Victoria, how are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. I think we're talking to each other from other sides of Boston, but great to be with you. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is, uh, this is COVID for you. We're all, we're all virtual. We, um, we will do something about that. But for today, we're, uh, we're virtual, even though we, I guess, strictly... Don't, don't have to be. Victoria, you and I met at Cantar uh, Consulting, and you have a, a very rich background from, from there, working on brand intelligence in, in various different ways and with consumer issues um, and consumer trends. Before that, I know, you know uh, your education is from, from Wharton, so you, you've been around the university circuit a little bit as well. Give, give us a sense of how you ended up uh, where you are now with, with brand intelligence. What, what, what would you say... Have you always been interested in in brands? The interest in brands has always been there, even before I knew what the word brand meant or uh, the discipline of marketing really looked like. I studied marketing and um, it was called operations management, but it was kind of the logistics and the numbers and the um, practical size of business while I was at Wharton, as you mentioned. And then, yes, from there, um, I actually kind of stumbled upon this opportunity at then a different name, but Kantar Consulting. And um, it became, it started as a internship where I was really interested in brand strategy consulting, something that was a bit more um, top line focused than traditional consulting. It was about growth strategy and how do you find the opportunity um, to expand the relationship with your consumers and in your market versus necessarily having to cut costs or think about headcount. Um, and, you know, through the years as Kantar Consulting evolved and, and um, as you know, you joined the business and watched it continue to evolve. We got closer to different types of clients. We um, saw the industry itself evolve and that kind of led to this opportunity here at Morning Consult where, um, you know, there is a lot of change happening in market research as it's traditionally called. But for me, it's about layering in um, the intelligence and, you know, kind of the strategy that comes in addition to just the data and how you execute field work. Um, so the more that we can think strategically about what we're asking, how quickly we can get data into the hands of decision makers, and what they then should do with that data, the more interesting the potential is for me. So here we are and, uh, living in a very interesting time for brands, let alone all the other uh, disciplines out there. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about how how brands should deal with the U.S. election because I know you have a report uh, coming out which really goes straight to that. And and as you pointed out, the uh, advantage with the, where you are right now is that you literally have these surveys that come out with 
you know, extremely rapid speed and and sufficient quality, I guess, to to be able to comment really real time on on all of these issues, which I find fascinating. So why don't we, um, we we'll jump to that, and then uh, you know, I do have some more questions about. Uh, you know some of the the legacy that you have from from brand Z and and other because you've been involved with with sort of quantitatively studying brands for for a long time. But let's jump straight into kind of the concept of of what a first off a little bit um, I guess what is a brand to a market research firm these days? And you know you can define it the way Cantar does or the way Morning Consult now. Just give us a, a little bit of a sense of how the concept of brand, you know, is now understood in in, in your circles. How I would have answered that question probably would have looked a little different even, um, I guess, now eight or nine months ago. But really what we saw come to bear in the last few months, especially since the pandemic and now with um, the proliferation of social issues, now with an election coming up, brand is actually ever more this idea of what um, what the company stands for, what it represents. And of course, you know, the origins are in branding and, um, you know, kind of this stamp or the trademark or the logo, but what it stands for, what your business or your, your entity stands for in consumers' minds is more important than ever because consumers are holding companies, brands, whatever you'd like to, you know, whatever wording you'd prefer to use to a higher standard where it comes down to how are you helping me in this time of very real need, this financial and also health crisis? Um, how are you acting on the issues that matter more and more to me, but also to society or to my peers or my generation? And then with this election, it becomes how are you helping to make sure the foundations of the process and the system itself are strong, forget about the actual candidates and kind of what side of the aisle you might sit on, um, but more and more it becomes what you stand for and how does that come to bear, not only in the products, um, how you act as well. Can you give us a little sense of, of how you guys came to the questions you're asking in this study? And then, and then I'm, I'm curious about the actual results because you've given us some of the highlights, but how did you get to these questions? What was it in your mind you know, that brought you to sort of this political kind of intelligence field. Was there something in the the brands you were already talking to where they were saying, hey, we're, we're actually wondering, this election has been so up uh, uprooting and there's so much out there, we don't really know, but tell us, you know, what what are our client, you know, what are the clients saying and, and, and you know, how is, uh, you know, is branding potentially changing for us? Was there a pent up demand for that or did you just kind of identify that this would be a fantastic study to do? So, in other words, how, how did this study even get started? Actually, a convergence of, I would say, three different things. First being that Morning Consult's roots are actually in political research and polling. And um, this has been the case in prior elections where um, the ability to you know, be speaking constantly and with your online polling with consumers, Americans um, across different facets is really just core to who Morning Consult is. You combine that with this underlying kind of drumbeat of purpose and CSR, and you have the business roundtable making statements, uh, this idea of businesses showing up in a different way as brands and having different types of relationships with consumers was ongoing even before the pandemic, but of course came to a head in the last few months. And then thirdly, to your point exactly, we are hearing more and more from our clients and 
contacts in this space and industry groups, et cetera, what should brands be doing from a communications perspective, from advertising perspective, um, in terms of the activism and how you know you do or don't lean into certain issues that are rising to the top of the consumer, you know, conversations and, and sentiments. Um, it became how in this moment with so much going on, where are the guideposts for brands? What's the do and the don't do? Where are the different consumer group expectations landing at this moment? Mm. And and broadly, you know, if you're going to go into some of these uh, results. If you start with sort of consumer expectations to to leadership and and the brands itself, but to CEOs and you know in in terms of taking a political stance, it, you know at all, and and potentially, do you have any data on how that that's changing? Because I understand, like you said, you've been doing this not just this year, but but over several years. So, what what are what exactly? Are consumers saying that CEOs, particularly, you know, if you lead a company that that is a you know a brand, a recognized brand, what should they be doing? What would the uh, consumers basically expect them to be saying or doing? The expectation of CEOs as leaders of brands has actually never probably been more on the forefront or on a pedestal than it has been in the last few months, especially as we have these real social issues coming to a head. Um, consumers themselves definitely expect CEOs to be responsible for the successes and the failures of their businesses. But beyond that, um, you think about different stakeholders. So you have the employee experience that CEOs are ultimately the shepherds of. You have the impact on society, which the overwhelming majority of Americans believe the CEO is responsible for making sure happens. Um, even diversity and, and inclusion is a responsibility of CEOs to be driving the agenda on and keeping either an eye on or managing teams around um, making, you know, come to bear within their organizations. Um, but then, you know, summing that all up, basically being leaders in society, not just in their organizations, but being leaders in society, uh, the, the kind of duality of that is Americans actually don't have total confidence that CEOs are aligned with or have the finger on the pulse of what Americans think and what they want and their opinions. Um, so that's where the opportunity for CEOs is to get closer to their consumers who are, you know, that's from the business perspective, how you think about it. But uh, what, you know, the actual society expectation is around either these moments or these issues or the pandemic itself um, is really the opportunity for CEOs to lean in. Victoria, which specific issues did you look into? So I can just, I mean, we, you know, you mentioned COVID. Um, there's the issue of the election itself. Uh, I mean, and then beyond that, there are many, many other social movements that sort of came to a to a fore in the U.S. And then you can look globally, you know, at many other issues. Wh which issues were surfaced in in this study, and which one came out on on top? We covered the full spectrum, actually. So you have COVID, you have the economy, you have a lot of politically nuanced um, issues. So that could be around certain types of reforms or regulations. We have this idea of Chinese-owned companies and whether Americans feel that, uh, how they feel towards Chinese-owned companies being active, period, and how they feel about companies um, and, and regulations that are around 
those types of companies. We covered, um, as you mentioned, social issues, so Black Lives Matter and uh, the duality between police reform um, and also kind of diversity and inclusion and how that, again, comes to bear in the organization. Um, and then climate change, sustainability, all of the issues. Basically, again, these are the things that are top of mind for companies coming into the pandemic. They're coming to a head as we see um, environmental impacts. We see social issues coming to a head. And the question for not only CEOs, but the brands themselves, were how, how do we move? What do we lean into? Is it bad to focus on climate change now when everyone is focused on uh, staying alive from the pandemic or, or kind of any sort of trade-off between these issues, but we really covered the full spectrum to hopefully equip brands and decision makers with as much context and information they need. But but would you say that, uh, I mean, is the finding essentially that they, uh, I mean, people can read the study themselves, but is the finding really that you have to be perceived as being informed on a few issues and it doesn't maybe matter so much which issues as long as because you know people surely understand that a brand has to make some choices and at some point it's almost arbitrary you 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 have to make some choices and these are the things you're doing now surely they you know consumers don't expect a brand to kind of be like this litany of answers to to every potential question i mean are there are there things that are kind of coming out as like musts and then other things that are coming out as like nice to haves or or do consumers from your study really expect brands to be like a government you know and a government you know you you call a government you're a journalist you better have an answer to pretty much every question because you're the government um i mean are we moving towards an era do you think where where big brands are going to increasingly have those expectations the trust versus responsibility dimension actually is something we explore deeply. So you mentioned government, and it is definitely the case, as our research and others have shown, not only in this report, but over the last few months, that trust in governments is waning, although trust in local local governments that are very close to home and know, you know their constituents, basically, is doing okay. Um, so given that, yes, we do see that companies and brands are expected to lean into that responsibility. Now, to your point around priorities, because there's only so much time, there's only so much money and energy to go around. Yes. Uh, the couple of dimensions to bear in mind are, first, we have an election. So that is something that increasingly consumers expect brands to have a point of view on insofar as not, again, the candidates, but the process and encouraging engagement and, you know, kind of whether that's voter registration or showing up at the polls. Um, that is something that we see again and again, and especially increasingly in recent weeks, consumers and Americans in general expect companies to be supporting that. Um, so setting aside the election, then we have this like issued broader set of issues that are facing um, America at this moment in terms of the pandemic and the economy. So again, it's not to say that companies need to solve all of these issues, but when it comes to the pandemic, a lot of them, um, as much as they're able or because they're uniquely positioned with their products or their service to do so, are thinking about how to help Americans. And this is where, again, the expectations are shifting because we're seeing that when push comes to shove, companies are able to either pivot their production lines or create new services or, or think more um, proactively about how to protect and help their consumers. Now it's kind of getting baked into the expectation equation. Um, and then around the economy front, this is where we start to get into this whole idea of stakeholders. So whether that's your employees and keeping an eye out for their jobs or helping 
um, them with healthcare or being sensitive to their economic reality in this moment. Um, it's less about necessarily discounting everything on your shelves because people are facing financial struggles, but sympathizing with your full set of stakeholders. Your, your consumers have certain needs when it comes to health. Your employees have needs as far as their well-being financially. Um, so those are kind of how to think about the current top of mind issues. Victoria, I know that uh, the current study doesn't have that data, but I'd be very interested to see if any of your data in the U.S. is different from from other countries, because clearly, in in a pandemic where in the U.S. the employer, you know, is basically the provider of of healthcare and of an, an enormous amount of other types of services, it is different than in other countries where the government already was providing, or and it is providing many of those other services. I. I'd be curious to see as we move forward whether you or others will be able to compare these kinds of data because it's not really surprising that in a time of crisis, people cling to whoever they can cling to. And in the US, I guess the employers and and companies and brands, they are a very kind of convenient shoulder to cry on, I guess, right? Because they are perceived as, you know, big successful actors, they have resources, they employ you, or or they, I guess the consumer thinks, we have bought products from these people, we trust them, what do they have to say? Do you, do you think this is, are these fair expectations or are, are, uh, are consumers here wanting too much? To quickly comment on your point around the global perspective, actually, we have been tracking this in uh, a number of EU markets and internationally as well. Um, and, you know, I think this is where, to your most recent question, Americans are expecting more, but in part because of how companies have shown up in other markets has been less with this total, not entirely self-serving, but you get what I'm getting at here on this, you know, very profit-driven quarterly reporting um, impetus, whereas globally, this is less of it. When we think about stakeholders, uh, Europeans, for example, are more likely to feel evenly across the board more evenly across the board when you think about customers and employees and even suppliers, um, that they're important, whereas Americans are very distinctly right now in support of consumers and employees and their shareholders are last, they are bottom in the ranking. Um, in terms of the expectations of companies, however, they play a role in society and whether the calibration will happen around what at what point you know they, they've come enough to the line and, and made their contribution or mitigated their impact in a negative way, um, but very much so, I think, a realistic expectation that companies are functioning as society. They are potentially damaging the environment with their operations, so to offset that is responsible, or they are, you know, delivering products and services that, um, you, you know, not only they can sell, but can help other communities. There's an opportunity to strike that balance of, um, you know, playing your role in society as much as you are in the economy and consumers' lives. So, you know, uh, on this podcast, we talk about the next decade. And, you know, maybe, maybe this question is slightly unfair because you're you're not there anymore with Brand Z. But would, uh, maybe you can comment on it from, from your new, new data, uh, you know, with Morning Consult. What, what would you expect in terms of forthcoming brand studies? Do you expect large shifts? And I'm sort of trying to move to thinking about a post-election situation in the U.S. and arguably, uh, well, I don't know, we can talk about post-corona or COVID at all, but we at least talk about the next few years uh, of living with COVID. Do you think that those changes will 
really manifest themselves in perhaps different rankings of brands? Or, or maybe do you even have to start measuring brands and adding indicators because of these changes that you obviously in this sort of smaller indicative study have, have started to kind of uh, peel off these new layers? Some of my research from earlier this summer actually starts to get at this. And as you said, too soon to tell definitively anything. But um, thinking of, you know, morning consult, we look at brand love as a metric as far as, you know, indicator of consumer choice and, and affinity, et cetera. When you look at the brands who have grown their affinity and their love and the components of love, even pre-pandemic to when not quite the midpoint, but, you know, this summer, a couple of months into the pandemic, we see a couple of different trends happening. So you see the big brands who have the resources, um, have the reach, have the supply chains getting bigger and kind of deepening that relationship with consumers. That's again, because of the resources they have available, but also because of the trust they built with consumers that Amazon is going to deliver your package. It might be a little delayed because of the chaos, but that trust exists. Um, at the same time, the challenge becomes for smaller brands, how do you cut through in a time when, first of all, people are leaning into the brands that they know and trust or even feel nostalgic towards? Uh, sure. Secondly, when their you know discretionary spending is probably going to be less about the latest and newest brand that's out there, although there's nuances by consumer groups and, and generations, et cetera. Um, but I think what's going to be most important to watch, especially when we think about brands getting involved, um, becomes how do you evolve your operations, be agile in terms of your solutions or your products or your services at the same time as stay relevant to consumers. And that means not just adopting your operations, but also staying relevant to the issues that are mattering most to them. Hmm. So is your advice right now, even just in the in the last few weeks, you know, leading up to the election and after it, regardless of what happened? So in the U.S., I know that in the study you you were actually tracking even to the detail of whether Democrats or Republicans had any different expectations. But I mean, is the advice to for companies and brands to get involved in the issues but stay clear of being very strong? minded about these issues or or is your advice more to go full hog and and be brave and really take strong positions as because you know okay you can engage in a in an issue but if you say kind of like wishy-washy stuff you haven't you know you have engaged and you have kind of put a stake in the ground but you haven't really taken a risk to what extent is this now about brands really staking uh, in the in the ground and taking real risks and and what benefits would there be for brands that that do do those things? Appreciating that companies are very sensitive to their finances at this moment and taking those big risks that could potentially backfire or that this is a new space for them getting involved in. My guidance would actually be pick the issues that feel most. Um, authentic to whatever your product or your service or your company stands for. Um, that could be something universal where we all have talent working for us and therefore diversity and inclusion is something that we are standing behind and we are going, as long as you're able to commit to making progress on, that becomes authentic. That becomes something that every company has permission to have a voice on and, and make progress around. Um, the other companies, it could be more ESG-related issues or specifically environmental sustainability issues. Um, but the biggest point here is to find something, this 
you know, authenticity was big when we talked about purpose as, you know, even a buzzword five years ago, but now purpose is very real and it becomes how is your DNA reflecting um, the things that you're getting involved in. So there's closer in ways to do it that don't require taking a big, bold risk. And it's not necessarily pushing a topic to a really provocative point. It's are you committing to the issue and, it, you know, actually the resources and the time and the talent that it will take to make whatever percent, even if it's 1% of progress on it, um, but not acknowledging it's an issue and, and making sure it aligns with what you've always stood for and then acting on it. I have some questions now more about uh, tracking tracking these trends. Like if you are, well, you know, if, if you are working for a brand, uh, you know, traditionally you, you'd hire some consultants and you track your brand and you had various ways, obviously, of tapping into your own uh, customer base with hopefully with some analytics of your own. How does one stay up to date on what's happening in the field of, of branding these days? Where, where does one go? I mean, are there these sort of traditional sources or, or, or does one have to diversify more and really listen to many, many more voices in order to, to track this? Warning Consult has really made an effort to, first of all, make the research, the primary research side, um, affordable, accessible, quick, timely. So, you know, in recent months, that's why clients have been coming to us because they need real very whether it's making you know some sort of statement around the pandemic and, and seeing real-time impacts of that on consumers um, but the other side of the the market research is also what's going on out there what else you know do you have your finger on the pulse of what your industry is doing what your con consumers want and that's where partially my job but we also have a full um, you know, set of analysts, we have a lot of reporters who are out there and paying attention to the latest developments, whether it's, you know, headlines from other um, media, you know, entities or stuff that we're really pushing to, to get to the bottom of, um, to be this one-stop shop where brands have a, a lot to take in. Any given person at a brand or company has a lot to take in. The idea is if we can get do a platform at your disposal that has any read on your brand and your, you know, your company and your category and consumers, but then also couple that with real time news and insight on what's happening out in the world. We can make you more equipped to make those timely and important decisions. When you were at Kantar, you pioneered this Monday's edge newsletter, which was widely, widely read. And uh, you spent, I think uh, probably quite a lot of energy uh, assembling a bunch of sources, and you went far outside of the Kantar system to to get data on what's happening. Uh, you you quoted in reports whether they were from McKinsey or others. Have you continued that work, or do you do you see that that's still important to to really kind of keep this very broad lens? In addition to obviously building internal uh, structure that can can kind of be a one stop shop for a client, ha have you continued that uh, thrust, or are you are you going to continue that kind of approach? That actually stemmed from me making myself and holding myself accountable for staying in touch with with what was happening out in the world and. Um, thankfully, it was well received by many people. At this point, I am still reading very actively, not doing the write-ups, but using it to inform things like ideas for reports or the analysis and the, and the articles I'm writing here. At the same time, as I mentioned before, Morning Consult really tries to play that neutral um, kind of connector aggregator of the headlines in the same way that, as you mentioned, I, I would cite McKinsey or, or you know, other 
entities other than Kantar in those digests to just be helpful and not worry about um, the sources, but keep the, the top headlines and the important insights as the goal, um, then that's something that thankfully we have many other people at Morning Consult thinking about as well. So um, I will say there's more to come on that front and kind of bringing back where I spent my time with digesting the the latest news. So um, stay tuned if you are a follower and I, I would thank for everyone for their readership, but yeah, I'm not spending my time digesting those in, on, a, on a weekly basis anymore. Well, I mean, it certainly was, was it must have been a, a lot of work because, you know, I, I read those things and, and uh, it was indeed drawing for, uh, from many sources. And I, I think that's the reality today, isn't it? You know, especially, you know, in, in, uh, in a field where you have to draw on a lot of different types of data and input. And, you know, one company isn't going to be able to have data on absolutely every area. You can have data on, you know, on a few, on brands, on a few other things, but but the the myriad of, of relevant potentially decision data that a, that a company has, right? It's almost it could be endless at the end of the day. Do you, do you have any advice on on uh, I guess individuals, uh, Twitter profiles, or anything that that are trying to perform that kind of function that that you had that you that you rely on in your in your work? Are there any profiles on on branding that you would like to highlight? I actually haven't found a single person who has digested to that extent. Um, of course, there's great voices on on LinkedIn and Twitter that I follow either for their you know provocative perspective on how marketing or branding is changing. Of course, you have the Scott Galloways of the world um, right. always pushing and pushing the thinking. But then um, I actually, I'm, my perspective is actually to just scan and stay very on top of all of these newsletters and these daily briefings that you get, again, the full perspective instead of um, just focusing on, you know, one of these daily newsletters that gives you their top set of headlines that they feel are important or that their reporters called together um, so for me, it's about a breadth of perspective and, and staying on top of what peripheral topics are, how those are evolving more than anything else. So, but that begs the question, Victoria, how many of these newsletters do you read every day? <laughs> I think more than anybody would. I used to have a lot of time on the treadmill and now I have to run outside. So that cuts into my reading time, but uh, yeah. far too many. <laughs> yeah, far too many. Um, well, well, then you know, my 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 last question to you is simply, you know, what's uh, what's happening next? What what do you uh, think over sort of over the medium to long term? Well, what are some of the issues to look out for, and what what are you going to be looking out for? So, the brand's uh, political role, have, you know, seems to be changing. We don't really know for how long, but for for right now, and for the election in the U.S. and and perhaps for for a political role, uh, you know, in other countries, certainly brands need to need to watch out. What do you think are more long term uh, uh, trends? Do you have any Do you have any prognostications on where this is moving? Is it only going to get more intense for brands, or do you think there will be a reaction whereby uh, people consumers will, will realize that they're they're perhaps having too much uh, confidence in their in their brand's ability to kind of respond to their everyday whims and interests, uh, you know, in, in the social arena? Well, you know me well enough by now to know that my answer is going to be rooted in data. So this is something that I will be in short watching closely. So this report out today actually um, is, is kind of the starting point of watching how consumer sentiment towards expectations of brands will evolve. Um, again, will after the pandemic, those expectations reel in after the election even, will those reel in 
only way to find out is to watch very closely and stay as real time as we can with what's happening. Um, at the same time, I'm also thinking about to your earlier question, how this changes expectations of leadership and CEOs and decision makers, and then on a global scale. So that's not just how you operate and show up in the U.S., but um, how, you know, U.S. leadership of companies is changing expectation-wise across key markets internationally, um, where we've, we've got our own issues with the American brand, so to speak, globally. But um, how does that translate and, and manifest for leaders of these companies? Uh, and then more broadly, I mean, Morning Consult is this, this really important intersection between brands, econ, and, and, you know, the consumer confidence realm, as well as political intelligence. So it becomes how do we stay close to all of those spaces to understand how people are spending or feeling about the economy where they think that, um, you know, the government should or should not be sitting on certain issues and then how brands fit into that and, and you know, add value not only to the consumer side of it, every single human, but also the human side. Well, Victoria, I hope I can count on your experience on on further, you know, other occasions because you know we here on on the Futurize podcast are definitely also tracking how brands are interacting as part of the greater sort of future future economy that is sort of evolving. Whether it you know now is with the news of of these proceedings against uh, big tech, big tech, which are happening, and obviously, obviously in the EU have been happening for a while. Uh, or it is the big story uh, between Chinese companies and the U.S. economy and Chinese companies, you know, really their role around the world and the fact that they're they're now playing in so many more spheres than, you know, than historically they, they were playing. They're, they're in a- every part of the economy. So, so that story has surely a big impact on the evolution of, of brands and, and brand trust. So, um, well... I'll I'll leave our listeners with uh, with those reflections. Thank you so much for for your time today. Of course, it's been great. I look forward to staying touch on the many topics we covered today. You have just listened to episode fifty three of the Futurized podcast with host Trunarne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was the future of brands and politics. Our guest was Victoria Sakal, managing director of brand intelligence at Morning Consult. In this conversation, we talked about how big brands should deal with the U.S. election, political intelligence, emerging survey results on how consumers think brands should react to social movements. Do consumers expect CEOs to take a stance on emerging issues such as climate change, Me Too, safe elections, or COVID-19? Who do consumers trust the most, politicians or brands? What are the top issues on Americans' minds? How will the political role of of brands evolve? My takeaway is that at least based on the survey findings we discussed today, brands have no choice but to enter the policy debate on important societal issues. That does not mean that they can or should necessarily take sweeping views on all issues at hand. Consumers don't, yet, expect brands to behave as responsibly as governments. But that may change. For now, the advice for brands would be to take a stand on issues that are close to heart and where you have integrity. Then you need to follow up. Post-election, brands will likely find themselves in a renewed game of stakeholder capitalism. Gone are the days where shareholders were all that mattered. 
Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.